1: Hey, this is David Ubben from Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC Football podcast. Here with my co-host Andy Staples, also from the Athletic, our national college writer. We got some breaking news: Auburn has fired head coach Gus Malzahn. Paid a hefty twenty-one million dollars sum to do it. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of angles. We're gonna look at them all. Andy, Saturday night, Gus Malzahn was channeling uh, Big Ted Lasso energy in the uh, Auburn locker room after beating Mississippi State. Sunday, he is no longer Auburn's head coach. I suppose the the question, the $21 million question, is
2: why Auburn pulled the trigger now? How How do you feel like we got to this point? That's what I want to know. Do they have somebody on deck in the shoot that made them confident that they could do this? Because... This takes the number of combined wins by SEC head coaches against Nick Saban down to one, which would be Ed Orgeron in 2019. With the best could team Auburn ever. <laughs> be? Could Auburn be planning to push that number to three? That's the million-dollar question
1: as well. I think you know this. This this sort of I think has some some shock waves in my neck of the woods as well. I've been saying this for several weeks because for Tennessee, the people's candidate has always been Hugh Freeze. And the idea was, well, he might still be here a year from now. It didn't look like Auburn was probably going to make a move. Now it's not a matter of if it's that Auburn made a move. Do you think this will – you know, we thought a few months ago this was going to be a quiet coaching carousel. It is officially not.
2: Uh, Do you think this will have shockwaves at other places? Well – I mean, if this is about Hugh Freeze, it's it's definitely a get-in-front-of-the-line-over-Tennessee thing. Mm-hmm. And as far as the, the activity of the coaching carousel goes, I knew when Louisiana Monroe fired their coach that nobody's going to worry about money in a buyout. <laughs> when the brokest school in America fires their coach, nobody's thinking about the money. So it's not that. And, and it may just be that the power brokers at Auburn were fed up with where Auburn was at. And they feel like it can be better. They, they feel like it shouldn't be a program that loses four games a year. And I get that mm-hmm. because, you know, this is a program that won a national title 10 years ago. It won the sec seven years ago. It won the, the West three years ago. So it's not impossible at Auburn. You're not, you're not fighting windmills here. You have access to really good players. You're two hours from Atlanta. You have great facilities. You have, you have, you know, a, a donor base that's very enthusiastic as long as you're winning. So it's not like you can't win there. It's not like you can't win the SEC. It's not like you can't win national titles. So I imagine this will be a job that will be highly coveted. Now, there is still the fact that you have Nick Saban coaching your rival. But will Nick Saban be that's coaching wrong. your rival forever? If you look around... I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah. If you look around... And you look at at where this goes here. The assumption, which it's never good to assume, is like you said that there there might be some some machinations in in progress here. Certainly, you know Hugh Freeze's name will come out there. Who else do you think Auburn looks at, or who else might be sort
2: of already talking to Auburn? I think Mario Cristobal would want this job badly. You know, this was a guy who was Nick Saban's offensive line coach at Alabama. You saw what he did in terms of rebuilding that roster at Oregon. He knows exactly what a national championship caliber roster looks like. He knows how to get there. At Auburn, you can build that roster. In fact, you're probably not far off from having it now. So that's the kind of guy that I would think would, would jump at a chance to coach at a place like Auburn. It has to be someone who can recruit like that. Mm-hmm. If you can't recruit like that, if you've never been successful in that recruiting environment, don't even bother applying hmm Do you think
1: the sort of um he hasn't exactly set the world on fire at Oregon. Do you think he would
2: he would get people at Auburn excited? No. They they would not be that excited about it. But the thing is, if he does to Auburn's roster what he did to Oregon's roster, they would they would probably be the, the third most talented team or the second most talented team in the SEC. Alabama and Georgia kind of duking it out at the top. Mm-hmm. Auburn could get right in that mix and they could be within a couple years. It would be those three Alabama, Georgia and Auburn in terms of talent at the top. And then it's just a matter of coaching it. And with Cristobal, the, the question you have is can he win the games he's supposed to win? Because that's been the issue at Oregon. You know, last year it was the Arizona state game this year. It was Oregon state and, and Cal they they've got to be better at that. But if he comes in and says, "This is the staff I want. This is what I can do," then I think there's a good chance that you could you could make a convincing case. Though I still think, if you're doing this, if you're Auburn, the guy who gives you the best chance of getting what you want is Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. And then there's
1: the the factor of being a thorn in Nick Saban's side is is a nice addition. It's really, you know, beyond his shortcomings, it's what makes him sort of the most attractive candidate for a lot of people around the SEC, where, kind of like the the Warriors in the NBA for a while, Saban for much longer has been. He just he hovers over everything and defines everything that happens in the SEC uh, for better or worse, and, and that's where they're at. You know, and you, you look around at, at the coaching carousel, and you can kind of see a lot of things coming. Um, not a lot really shocks you. I, I must say... This move surprised me a little bit. Gus Malzahn has been living on the the hot seat for uh like 5 years now. What did you make when you saw that 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 Auburn was indeed making the move that they've been flirting with for several
2: years? Yeah, I mean this is kind of like Texas A&M firing Kevin Sumlin. I think it it that's fairly analogous. I know that Malzahn had greater ultimate success than Kevin Sumlin did at A&M. But it's sort of the same thing. School with a lot of money that tends to be somewhat volatile eventually decides we are making a change. We're tired of this. And look, you know, watching that game against Mississippi State, I don't know if this decision was already made, but I imagine it got reinforced by the way they won Mm -hmm. against Mississippi State. I mean, they feel like they need to be destroying teams like that and then playing competitive games against Alabama. And they were not competitive against Alabama at all. And... You you know you can point to the fact that they've won three times against Alabama since 2013, which nobody else has, but it doesn't it doesn't make them feel any better. They still want to win them all, mm-hmm. and when they're getting blown out like that, it's gonna bug them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Is 21 million the record? What is the record? It's up there, isn't it? Charlie, it, it, it's definitely up there. Charlie Weiss was, I think, around 19 or 20 million. I don't know. If we ever got a full accounting of that because. Yeah. It's a private school, they don't have to say, but it, it's definitely up there with the biggest buyouts that we've seen, and it just tells you that nobody cares about the the money in the pandemic either, that they, they would have done this pandemic or no. Mm-hmm. Andy, I, I, I'm, I'm told that the term for that is it just means more. That's, that's, I, that's what I hear. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does. I'm pretty sure they have actually financially proven that it means more. It means more buyout money. It means more buyouts for your staff. Because think about it. Kevin Steele ain't cheap. Mm-hmm. you got to pay him too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right move for Auburn? I don't know. I mean, it's a gamble. It's a yeah. roll of the dice. I, I don't feel the same way about this one that I felt about Texas. where when, when Texas got turned down by Urban Meyer or just told that Urban Meyer didn't want to come back to coaching – there didn't seem to be an obvious candidate on the horizon Yeah, who would make things better than what it was at Auburn. I think there are some candidates there. There's one in particular that we mentioned Hugh freeze. Now, whether they're going to hire him or not is another story, but he would be the one who you just say, okay, he can get you what you want because he's done that before. And if he could, if he could do with what he did at Ole Miss, then imagine what he could do at Auburn. Now, you can say, "Well, the NCAA came and investigated while he was at Ole Miss. So, is that going to happen at Auburn? I don't know, but I do know if you get him, you're going to have an offense that people are going to really hate to play."
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
1: Andy, uh, you know, we'd planned on on dodging some shoes in the uh, in the opening segment of this show. Uh, I'm told that that shoe is still uh, orbiting somewhere around the planet. One of the more memorable moments oh, wait, in SEC... Are you saying we're waiting for the other shoe to drop? I think that's what we're saying. I think that's what we're saying. Uh, one of the uh, more memorable moments in SEC football history in recent years, I would say Florida, uh, obviously... You can't boil it down to that one play, but the reality is that if you spike the shoe or if you toss the shoe in the direction of the sideline, you if probably you
2: option pitch the shoe. Yeah,
1: you probably don't get flagged there, but the but the full blown hit the
2: post with the shoe. That's going to be a problem for you, and it was a problem if, with Florida. If you throw the shoe in any manner, you're probably getting flagged for delay of game. Well, I think if you spike it, but, you get but away it's still, with it. It's still fourth and one in that case. Yes. Yes. So LSU's still punting, but yes. yes, if you chuck it as <laughs> as it was estimated twenty yards down the field, then <laughs> you're getting fifteen yards. LSU's getting a first down, and all of a sudden things look very, very bad. Yes. And I, I mean, we're trying to figure out this versus pretending to pee on the goalpost because people say, oh well, the pretending to pee on the goalpost cost two coaches their job. Well, first of all, it didn't cost Joe Moorhead his job. It cost Matt Luke his job. Uh, Joe Moorhead cost himself his job eventually later, uh, or perhaps Mississippi State was hasty. Who knows? But given the stakes of this game, given what Florida had on the line here, it is one of the just most boneheaded decisions you're going to see on a field.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think, too, as much as I appreciated the novelty of the Elijah Moore Ole Miss play, it just didn't have it didn't ha- though. He was he was
2: impersonating DK Metcalf. <laughs>
1: yes, but it doesn't have the same national sort of big picture impact as, you know, whatever chance Florida had. At least they were going to be they were going to be playing for a playoff spot next week. No matter what Dan Mullen said, uh, I guess he told the production staff he felt like if they lost, they could still get the playoff. I'm sure maybe he believes that. It's not true. I think something was lost in translation there. Yeah, really maybe. Did. Either way, they're not playing for a playoff spot uh, again. It's not quite as simple to say that he cost them a spot at the playoff, but he did cost them whatever chance they had. So it's in that sense, you know, in sort of the, the butterfly effect and all the ways that it can affect uh, all the things around him, it has a, a bigger impact. So... uh a classic game, uh, a fantastic uh, ending, the fog I did not love. Uh, how would you rate the viewing experience of the fog? I like the uh, the behind the the quarterback
2: camera, but it I was hard to tell how bad it was actually on the field. Well, let's put it this way. I live about eight miles from that stadium, mm-hmm. and I wasn't there because we had two beat writers there. I had a better view than they did.
1: Yeah, I believe that. that. that
2: that's the thing. And... You know, fog can get pretty bad around here. There's an area called Payne's Prairie, about 10 miles south of Gainesville, where just about every morning a fog rolls in, and it is pea soup thick a lot of days. And so that that can happen. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting, because it almost felt like the universe saying, well, this is us showing you that you kind of need to be able to line up and run the ball every once in a while, (laughs) that you can't just rely on throwing it, even because... Florida did a lot of things in the passing game that sort of negated the need for a traditional run game. And and I still think they're capable of doing that under almost any circumstances except when you can't see the football.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, – where, where does the Cade York kick oh. land? I mean, it's a fantastic play. That's one of the play, best kicks I have ever seen. It is up there, but I kind of feel bad because, like, it, it's a great moment, but it does – just put you at four and five, and it, I don't know. It fit, it's a great moment, but it felt kind of empty because it's it's kind of just like tweaking Florida no, and not as it's much. Not, it's,
2: it's not empty because let's just look at it for what it is in terms of the kick itself. It's a 57-yarder where he may or may not have been able to see the goalpost. <laughs> That's a fair it, point. <laughs> it would have been good from 65, 70. He crushed it. Like, that was the craziest thing is – once you saw it come off his foot, you're like, oh, there's no doubt that's going in. Yeah. When before, because I've, I've seen people ask about the Dan Mullen timeout and say, well, aren't you going to rip Dan Mullen for taking that timeout? No, I'm not going to rip Dan that's Mullen the right for move. taking that timeout. Yeah, 90% of the time that dude misses and you get the ball on your own 40.
1: Yeah, and look how much they moved it after that. If he misses that, Florida goes and wins that game. The
2: timeout yeah, was they the right move. Yeah, they had a chip shot Evan McPherson field goal. I mean, yeah. it, it would have been, been easy. So the fact that Cade York made that kick, I mean, they were losing that game if he didn't make that kick. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I, li- I I respect the, you know, uh, wanting to, to see if-, if LSU could pull off the fire drill and still hit a 57-yarder. But that's the that's the right call, I thought. And a classic game. One
2: of the best games of the year, I thought. Uh, a lot oh, of fun. Oh, it's the the first Whoa Martha game of the year, you know, when they yeah. the, <laughs> the old scene where the guy's sitting there reading the paper and spits out his cheers. Whoa Martha, did you see this? That's what <laughs> it's a Whoa Martha game. Yeah. Uh, and we hadn't had one all season anywhere in the whole country. Mm-hmm. So and, and every year there's a bunch of those, and it felt very strange. That was we talked about that on my show with Ari Wasserman on Friday, like. There are none of these results, and that's one of the things that makes this season, well, one of the many things that makes this season feel so weird. So having one of those makes it feel a little more normal, even if it does sort of bring up some questions involving the playoff picture. But honestly, most of the questions that brings up involving the playoff picture require Florida to beat Alabama. And given what we saw, would you have any confidence that Florida can beat Alabama? No.
1: Here's a question for you, though. Uh, I've heard this from a few people. Georgia with JT Daniels. Mm-hmm. Florida has. I still think Florida's better than Georgia, but they've come down to earth a little bit. Do you? Would you like to see a Georgia Alabama redux with JT Daniels more than you'd like to see Florida try and outscore Alabama and fail and lose fifty nine to forty? No, I
2: think Florida's earned the chance by beating Georgia, but. Yeah, I, I would love to know what this Georgia team would have been with JT Daniels at the helm all season. I, I'm very curious about that. And I I wonder if you're a Georgia fan, David, do, do you feel like – do you, are you happy that you've got the quarterback now? And and I don't think JT Daniels is going to go pro. He could if he wanted to after this season. But my guess is he'd come back as Lot, a lots, lots of gain. Lots of gain, I think. Mm-hmm. So Do you feel good that you finally got that part under control, and you probably don't have to do anything, you know, it looks Munkin will be fine, because he's got his guy now, or are you just still mad about what might have been?
1: Well, I I think, you know, you look big picture, Alabama's just better than Georgia. It's not like Georgia's leaving a national title on the field here. You know, even with JTL, they would have had a shot, but Alabama's just a better team, and so you're not catching Alabama in a down year. You're catching Alabama in a year where they might have one of the best teams that we've seen in quite some time. And so I'd be frustrated, but, again, you look at the Georgia roster and they're, they're set for a long time, and now you find your quarterback. I, I think you can feel okay in general.
2: Yeah, I think they should feel pretty good, and they're probably going to destroy somebody in a decent bowl game, and you know, that, that's a good way to go into the offseason, mm-hmm. and, and you're right against this Alabama team, it may not have mattered, but against what Alabama is next year, it might matter. It might be different. It might be more even. It might maybe Georgia's better even. So, it it is encouraging and it's interesting cuz if you'd have said to a Georgia fan a month ago, "Hey, would you be encouraged by this season? Would you would you end this season on a on a high note?" It's going to be like, "No, no, <laughs> absolutely not." Yeah. But now I think you feel pretty good about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Florida, on the other hand, this, this could be a bad way to go because they need to bounce back emotionally to play Alabama. They need to put up a good fight against Alabama. You know, look, we didn't think LSU had a chance against Florida, so conceivably Florida has a chance against Alabama. But realistically, it's hard to imagine. But they need to get back up and play a good game against them, and they need to get back up and then play a good bowl game because they don't need to stunt the momentum of this season because I I think there's a good program building momentum going on from this season if you're Florida if you don't let this cause it to spiral. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, elsewhere in the SEC, it felt a little bit like Groundhog Day yesterday. Um, Andy, because we got some more history at Vanderbilt football. Sarah Fuller... Hits a pair of extra points, uh, ties the ball game in the in the first uh, the first quarter. Uh, Vanderbilt's uh, Ken Seals rips through Tennessee's secondary, which a lot of folks are doing that these days. Uh, but the sort of same people coming out with sort of the same arguments. I don't really want to get into it again. But ultimately, you know, we we, we talked about this and and sort of about how I don't really understand how the reaction is not just like that's pretty cool and anybody who you know draws inspiration from that that's cool too but I think you look at at you know she stepped in in a very very difficult position where they didn't have anybody else really that that was going to be able to kick and quite frankly the rest of the team well they, they let did have them... somebody else because <laughs> he was kicking the, the field goals
2: no I'm talking about Two weeks ago, three oh, weeks yeah. ago. Oh, yeah, no, they didn't. They, that's my point. They, that, they, need, they didn't have anybody who'd been through the, the COVID protocols. Yes, exactly. She had because of soccer.
1: Exactly. And quite frankly, the team let her down in that they didn't give her any opportunities to actually kick. They had the, the second half squib, and that's all you got. So, you know, you're asking her to sacrifice time, testing, do something that nobody is, is really doing, Something you're asking a lot out of her. And it, it looked to me like saturday was the payoff for that and and hey if we're gonna ask you to do all this we're gonna give you some opportunities to prove yourself and when she did she did her job and that was cool to see uh and sort of the same um you know peanut gallery uh revved their engines again we had a new level by the way that i appreciated of uh uh Sarah Fuller Trutherism of Tennessee was was laying back on the extra oh, points, man. <laughs> despite well, the fact that's what they do on almost
2: every extra point. Here, here's my question: If it's a stunt too, who cares? Yes, it's their football team. They can yes. do whatever they want with it, and it's it's
1: a cool thing, and people draw inspiration from it. And she did her job literally in what she did. No one could have done better. You kicked the ball. You scored a point. Oh, okay, the kick was kind of low. Okay, it still went through the uprights. It's like, come on now. And I and that same kicker uh, that was on Vanderbilt's uh, team has missed a twenty-two yard kick at some point earlier this season. So, again, no way to go through life. I would argue uh, well, picking just, nits with these you know, cool things.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, we'll we'll let the people continue to tell on themselves, and it's it's fine.
1: Yeah. Anyway, moving on, Andy. We gotta go a little bit looking into Atlanta this week. What are you keeping an eye on as you see Alabama prepare for? Uh, well, what what looks like it's going to be maybe a fun quarter or two before we realize that Alabama is going to score on every possession and Florida is going to score on a lot of its possessions.
2: Is this Mac Jones versus Kyle Trask for the Heisman Trophy, or Devonte Smith versus Mac Jones for the Heisman Trophy?
1: I put that's Devontae Smith player. higher than Mac Jones. I've had him higher than Mac Jones the whole year. You have him higher
2: than Kyle Trask, is the question.
1: I do you... now. I didn't yesterday. Or I we, didn't we get, last week, but I do now.
2: We get ballots on Monday. We can't say anything after that. But yeah. you know, it's it's that's the interesting thing. And look, Jones is still putting up some incredible numbers, and and, and people are like, well, Trask has better numbers. No, he really doesn't. Mm-hmm. He has more touchdowns. Jones averages two yards more every time he throws the ball. That is fairly significant. Mm-hmm. The one thing that
1: I really want to see, and I mentioned this on, on Twitter on Saturday, Alabama hasn't given up more than 17 points since the Georgia game. Whatever was going on early when they got into the shootout with Ole Miss, th- those days are behind them at this point, or so it would seem. They haven't played any really great offenses. Florida is a great offense. They'll have Kyle Pitts back almost certainly. What does that look like? Can it? You know, Florida, you can call them an elite offense. Much more, much closer to the kinds of offenses that, that, that um, Alabama is going to see in the playoff. A Clemson, uh, a, a Ohio State, a Notre Dame. How fixed is the Alabama defense? Uh, Pete Golding has done some really good things. They are not giving up those big plays. And if they can hold this Florida team to under 30, I mean, they're already a favorite going into the playoff to win the whole thing. If they can do that, I'm not sure who beats them.
2: Yeah, this is going to be a good test for them because athletically, Florida's defense is as tough of a matchup – I'm sorry, Florida's offense is as tough of a matchup in the skill positions as anybody they're going to see. Now, on the lines, a different story. But when you talk about Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, Trevon Grimes, Justin Shorter, you you are not going to find a more difficult set of skill guys – Probably in the whole country, other than the ones Alabama has on offense. So mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult to deal with that kind of, of athleticism on the perimeter. And then remember, Florida has proven occasionally that they can get the running backs involved in the pass game. You know, that wheel route to to Malik Davis is cer- certainly something that Alabama's got to pay attention to, that Alabama's linebackers have got to be ready for. So I, I do think if they can limit Florida's offense, it bodes very well for what they'll be able to do in the playoff because, you know, try to try to think about it. Does Clemson have that kind of weaponry on the outside? If Justin Ross were, were healthy and playing, maybe they would. Does Ohio State have that kind of weaponry on the outside? Probably not. Not that deep, you know, no. Their quarterback can run a lot better, and I think that makes a huge difference. Wilson's um, a good
1: player, but they don't have the depth. But, <laughs> yeah,
2: so they're not going to see anything tougher than what they're dealing with in the skill positions they're, they're going to see on Saturday. Yeah, so we're gonna learn a lot about Alabama. I think they win that game, but
1: I I I know what their offense is gonna do. Uh, we know we've seen that all year. Nobody's holding this team under forty. But I'm curious what the defense is. Is this officially recovered, or are they just sort of benefiting from playing not great offenses? Florida's gonna reveal that, and that's what I'm sort of most excited about seeing uh, on Saturday. And so. and my
2: question is: Does Florida just pull out all the stops? Do you take every? Surely, wish? Do right? You fake, Surely, do you fake punts. Do you do all kinds of crazy stuff? Because I think maybe before Saturday, you didn't think you needed to do that. I think you are probably gonna go and look at Saturday, what happened Saturday night, and then flip on the tape of Alabama and be like, you know what, this is this is gonna be a, a bonsai game. This is gonna be YOLO, surprise on sides.
1: You got to steal possessions in this game.
2: Yeah, you got to do everything you can because you are not
1: gonna get stops. You are just not, um, and you got to find ways to make up for that. And trick plays. I do think you got to go at least one. See what you can find. Look at every single Alabama, you know, uh, kick return. Whatever you see, find ways to to package new stuff in. Whatever it takes to steal possessions uh, in this hey, ball you, game. You've got analyst Paul Pasqualoni breaking <laughs> it all down. So it's it's there. I like it. I like it. Well, that will do it for the Monday episode of Football and Grits. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for uh, subscribing. If you're not a subscriber to this show, you can change that on whatever podcast purveyor of choice. Have it delivered directly to your, advice, or to your device. Leave us a review. Uh, a five-star rating is always nice. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you should change that as well. You can listen to this show ad-free and get access to all of our writers uh, from our college football team to every sport you can think of. We've got you covered. Do that at theathletic.com slash grits got a great buy one get one free uh deal going on for you guys uh for the holidays so if you want to check us out and encourage your friend to do the same it's always fun well again i'm your host david oven with my co-host andy staples thank you guys for tuning in to football and grits we'll see you again very very soon